Welcome team, how excited am I? Nick Montgomery, I can't believe it's taken me this long to get you on this show. And I tell you what, the producers always tell me you have to grab people's attention straight away. So I am gonna go straight to the famous photo of you playing against Cristiano Ronaldo. Because I wanna ask you, what would it be like to play against Cristiano Ronaldo? Think about that, but you did. Tell us that experience and then I want to go, I want to go way back. So yeah, I mean, you know, to, to play against most considered one of the greatest players in the world, you know, at the time it happens, I just remember lining up in the tunnel at Old Trafford and, and looking, looking to my right hand side and yeah, you know, the, the great Man United team and, and Cristiano Ronaldo there, young Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, but yeah, it's just that surreal moment where I'm thinking, you know, I'm a, a local boy from Leeds, you know, from, from a, a council estate with a, a normal background and dreamed of playing in the Premier League and watching match of the day. And then the next, you know, the next thing it's fast forward, you know, probably six, seven years after being in, in professional football and standing, yeah, standing next to one of the greatest players of all time. And yeah, it's weird, it's, it's sort of exciting, but also thinking I can't wait to get on the pitch and, 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 and you know, tackle him and just get out there and enjoy the game. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a surreal moment, but you know, it's, it's what you always dream of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel it's more surreal now because of who he became. But that, you've just said it, really, you were just lining up against, you just couldn't wait to go and tackle him, right? Like, and at the stage, he was just a young kid, but now you've seen him become who he is, you must sit back with your own kids and, hey, have a look at this picture. This is dad, you know? Like it is pretty crazy, but that team he was in, let's drop a few other names because he was only a young kid. Like there was some big names Ryan in Ryan Giggs, Wayne Rooney. Um, yeah, just, just so many, yeah. so many world-class Premier League players. And again, as, as a young boy watching match of the day and, and just dreaming of playing in the Premier League, that's, that's when you look back now and I've got three girls. Uh, yeah. They're not bothered about uh, football, <laughs> um, but I think it's one of them. You know, I, I tend not to sort of look back on the past on my own career now. I'm coaching, but uh, often gets brought up and, and people ask a question. Um, and yeah, playing in the Premier League at that era, you know, against some of the greatest players of the Premier League era, and you know, was something that I always cherish. And yeah, the experiences I've took from playing is is really what's built me as a as a coach now. And, and I try to bring a lot of them experience to to the to my coaching. Yeah, you, you, you've mentioned coaching there and there's obviously some experiences and influences in your life that have led you to here. I've tried to get on this podcast coaches that will help inspire other coaches or teachers or parents even or, or athletes even. I mean, we'll definitely inspire young footballers if they happen to watch this. So can I, can I just ask you about some influences you had? You mentioned you grew up pretty humble beginnings. Can, I, can we go way back there and when you first started playing football and, and your love of this game that you've put a lifetime into? Yeah, so I, I had a one brother, um, 18 months older than me. And, and yeah, look, I came from a bit of a, a working class background and at the time at school, a lot of my friends were in, involved in crime stealing cars and, and you know, ended up uh, bank robbing and, and an armed robbery and stuff. So it's actually 
when I, when I think back, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, but that was normal for me, and it was yeah. Pause. Did you rob a bank? No, never, no, no, never, okay. no, no. Look, let's clear that up. Let's clear <laughs> no, that up for the reference. No. Yeah, I yeah, never yeah. robbed the bank. So, so sounds like football may have saved you. But anyway, keep yeah, going. So, sorry for that. <laughs> so I went to a normal school and and yeah, just just fell in love with football and, and that was just kicking it around in the street and kicking it against the the, the wall and the fence and driving all the neighbours crazy. Um, and, and yeah, just that's all I that's all I wanted to do. And I just dreamt at a young age of of being a footballer. And, and, and I used to go and watch Leeds United. Um, I didn't have anyone in the family that, that liked football. You know, my mum and dad supported me. My brother supported me, but they never really had any passion for football. Um, and then yeah, it was just just sort of from then on. I started playing local football, and then Leeds schools football, and then I was picked up by Leeds United at um, I think. 10 years old yeah which again you look now I think 10 years old at Leeds United and big club and, and playing Saturday Sunday just constantly playing football and, and, and training throughout the week um, and then yeah I got to 16 and sort of left school and, and at that point uh, again this could be a long story I'll make it pretty short but I, I sort of had the option to, to stay at Leeds and, and work, work to try and get a scholarship for when I finished school um, with no guarantee uh, because I had glandular fever and missed a lot of training so I spoke to the coach at the time and just said look you know am I guaranteed to get a, a scholarship contract when I leave school and he couldn't really give me an answer so I took it upon myself and I spoke to my mum um, who wrote a letter you know can you believe it I feel old now she wrote a letter to loads of clubs around Yorkshire uh, Sheffield United, Barnsley, Sheffield Wednesday and just explaining that, you know, she had a son and I wanted to be a footballer and I'd been at Leeds United and I wanted to guarantee that I was going to you know, be a footballer when I left school and Sheffield United wrote back, offered me a trial. I had one game and, and the coach at the time, a guy called Russell Slade, who, who went on to coach Leighton Orient, um, Yeovil, some, some Sheffield United at one point. Yeah. Um, and he just offered me a two-year scholarship straight after the game and that was it. You know, I, I took it with both hands. Mate, I just got goosebumps. Seriously, I'm not exaggerating. When you talked about your mum there, like you said she didn't even love football, but she had this, she, she sounds like all mums do really, the love they have for this, they'll support you with anything, right? She, she hand wrote a letter to all these clubs. My God. I know, it makes me feel old, but uh, God bless my mum. She, she passed away two years ago. Um, but yeah, she, you know, I always look back after, you know, after I got in the first team and, and again, any, any kids watching, you know, the amount of hours um, my mum put in, especially working 10 hour, 12 hour shifts. She'd come home, pick me up and, and drive an hour across Leeds, take me training three times a week. And when you look back over, you know, the course of that time when you're a young player and yeah, just a sacrifice that, that she gave up. Um, you know, t to make it actually in the first team and, and professional, yeah. you know, was yeah. Without her, would have been virtually impossible. And, and, and I know the, the the parents nowadays, the amount of effort they put into the children, yeah, can never be underestimated. Mate, that is, to be honest, mate. A lot of the listeners are all mid twenties, thirties, forties. I'm not getting many young people unless I do a little Instagram post yeah. or whatever. But that message is so powerful mate like some of the parents out there and I think 
young kids who only think about it when they're older, how much mum and dad actually did. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, what a special lady your mum was, but the actual handwritten letter, that's just blown me away. So you mentioned at 10 years old, you're now 40, 41, 41. Yeah. so 10 years old in Leeds United. So for 31 years, all you have ever known is elite football, like elite. So there's no wonder why you're going so good in only your, is this your second year? Yeah, second season. Second season of head coaching. There's um, influences along the way in the coaching game. Can, can we drop any names there? And is there any lessons you've learned that by you sharing them will help the listeners? Yeah, so I think, again, you know, without dragging out a big, a big story, which it, de- it definitely is, I left school at 16. I moved to Sheffield, which was only an hour and a half away. Um, I moved into Diggs. The first two years of my scholarship was littered with uh, a broken ankle the first year. The second year, I actually got meningitis. I was in the hospital for two weeks on a drip. And then Neil Warnock, the famous Neil Warnock came in. Um, Sheffield United was a sleeping giant and he came in and he was a Sheffield United fan. Didn't really know what had happened the, the two years before, didn't care. You know? and, and, yeah, he just wanted people that were committed to the club, that had passion, desire. And I just got over the, the meningitis and I was playing in the reserves at the time. Scored a hat-trick um, against Stockport. And the next day I was in training with the first team um, and it, it happened that quick. And then the following day, uh, he said, you're traveling to Norwich. And, and I always tell the story actually, you know, that was around the time when there wasn't really that many football agents around. But they just started to come into the game and a lot of the young players were getting agents and um, it was a real sort of transition time in, in, in football when the money started really coming in. Yeah. And I always remember being on the bus and back in the day it was a team bus and all the young players, you'd, like a four hour drive to Norwich, you'd go the day before and, and the first team boys would literally be uh, asking for cups of tea and stuff. You'd sit down and then they'd ask again. So you, for four hours you're just walking up and down the bus Delivering coffees and teas, and if it, yeah, it was yeah. Again, that was yeah, tradition yeah. back in the day. You know, yeah. the young boys were there to to facilitate the older boys, and and again, it was part of your grounding. Yeah. Um, and I remember Neil called me down the, the front of the bus, and I sat down, and he just said, you know, I, I saw you, I saw you play against Stockport a couple of nights ago. I love what I see. And he said, you know, if I told you I want to offer you a new contract now, uh, you're going to be on the bench tomorrow at Norwich. You know, what would you say? And and I just said, yeah, I'll sign it. And he said, good, because if he'd have said, no, I've got an agent, I would have told you to go back to the back of the bus. So you look back on them key moments and, you know, a few boys before me had sort of got in that situation and, and said, I'll oh, speak to my agent. And, and Neil was really old school. Yeah. And he just said, all right, speak to your agent, no problem, off you go. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I always just look back on that moment. And, and the next day I made my debut at Norwich, um, away at Carroll Road. And, had a great game and then after the game uh, Neil sort of said to all the boys like he put more effort in than most of you did the whole game because we were winning the game 2-0 I think it went 3-2 to Norwich and he threw me on at that point and and yeah for 30 minutes I ran my socks off and for him to compliment me after the game in front of everybody and and that was it you You remember that and that was it I ended up you know 400 games for Sheffield United there for 14 years in total yeah and um, I think I've got the most appearances in the last century for, for any player for Sheffield, yeah, United. For Sheffield so, United yeah that was well, sort of that. yeah so that was sort of one one chapter closed and I moved over here at 30 years old 
Mate, you, you just mentioned there the you ran your socks off. So could I go to the characteristics of what you value in your position midfielder, right? Talk to me about that because you just said you ran your socks off. I remember watching you when you came here to Australia. And now you say that, that's that's what I think. If I think you, that that's what I think. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Look, I think as a player, I, I knew what I was good at. You know, I, I could run more than anybody. And, and to be honest, you know, I had a manager, Neil Warnock, who believed in me at 17 years old, 18 years old, to throw me in the first team at championship level. And the only reason he did that is because I could run and I would tackle and I would chase everything and I'd do anything he asked. And, and to be honest, that's that went through my career. And, and the biggest thing I say to young players now is, you know, you have to know your strengths, you know, because of course I wanted to be Cristiano Ronaldo and dribble people and score goals, but that wasn't my strength. You know, my strength was winning the ball back giving it to players like, I remember Peter Unlove, um, one of the best players I ever played with. You know, he was the first African player ever to play in the Premier League. He was a Zimbabwean um, international and I just won the ball and give it to him every time because he was just magic with the ball. Um, and yeah, you know, I knew what I was good at and, and I worked on my strengths more than, more than anything, um, as well as your weaknesses, of course, but sort of, you know, my, my assets as a player sort of that's what made me the player that I was, and, and I think that's something that a lot of players get confused with. Yeah, I think there's something, there's definitely something even a little bit deeper there. You, your character as a player, I don't think you would ever be beaten on effort. Is no, that fair to say? Yeah, you never. Definitely, and look, I think effort is non-negotiable. It's if you lack effort, and, and if you can't put effort in, then it's. It's got to be the number one fundamental. You know, you have to put the effort in because everything else is a byproduct of the effort you put in. And again, you know, working on 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 your strengths. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's definitely non-negotiables, and effort and honesty is, is one of them. Yeah. Now, when I when we turned up today, you you mentioned one one of the first things you said to me is you really enjoyed the Ivan Cleary podcast episode, which we might even link to the bottom of this one. I've always found you, whenever we've spoken, you're really keen on learning off other sports. But in particular, there is a bit of a love for rugby league. What is it about rugby league that you love? This thing about learning off other coaches, is that a, how long has this been, has this been in you forever? Because as long as I've known you, I've always felt that. You've always been looking to learn. There's no wonder why you're at at the top of the A-League game, but I see you going way past the A-League because of your mentality of coaching. Learning off other coaches, talk to me first about the Ivan Cleary bit, but other coaches or other people you follow or um, this thirst for knowledge and this, um, it, it's, a, it's a characteristics of the best coaches I've ever met and ever worked with and you've got it. That's why I think you won't be in the A-League for too long, but can you elaborate a bit on that for me? So going back to the rugby, um, and I grew up in, in Leeds and, and goes right back to my childhood. I, was, I went to a rugby school and next door, my next door neighbour, uh, semi-detached house with two uh, Leeds Rhinos players, right. and Mark and Stephen Campbell and their dad Phil was just, they were just obsessed with rugby, hated football. Yeah. Um, and I was next door, loved football, kicking against the fence. My brother was like a street fighter boxer, so, you know, next to each other, semi-detached house, we had four 
young boys that you know two rugby one football one boxing and you know we didn't get on well at the start and then we got on really well and I'm still in touch with them now but yeah that's that's where the sort of you know um, the rugby sort of side came from it and you know I'm a phys I was always a physical player so you know the most biggest thing I love about rugby is just the, the tackles and just the just the power you know of the players um, and I enjoyed playing it for a while at school but then yeah, football was my my only passion um, and, and then to, to your point then about the different coaches I think team sport is there's so much you can learn from other coaches you know whether it's basketball rugby football because ultimately I think you know team sport is about a group of men or women or, or kids whatever it is and it's really about winning the hearts and minds of that group and then following you in, in what you want and I think your sort of personality and, and the way you are as a person I think that dictates how the team ultimately behaves and plays and, and yeah just just learn from from leadership and yeah, I think if I can look over my career as a player I'll, I'll learn some really good stuff from the great coaches I learned stuff not that I didn't like from bad coaches but even from the bad coaches and, and people I didn't like I, I learned some good stuff from them so I think it's about use, taking your own strengths and qualities and, and learning from experience of, of other people um, and I think that's what really rounds you as a coach it's, it's, it's your own experiences good and bad and that of other people that you really trust and, 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 and you've got a lot of respect for. So yeah, it's, it's amazing listening to, to different people's stories and how that can relate to, to your environment and the situation that you're in. Awesome, and it's even better that you follow the podcast. Um, you mentioned there something which I love because I, I knew there was something else. I knew just watching you as an athlete, but then as a coach, and just you get this feeling of you as a person. You don't take a backward step. And you mentioned the brother, street fighter, boxer, the neighbors, the rugby league. The, it's all coming together, what I, what I see of you when I, when I picture you as a player. But as a coach, I just love that bit you said about the hearts and minds of your, your team. I felt it when I walked in here today. I, I felt this little connection out there of your players and there was some families and like it's, it just seems like there's something really good happening here. It does not matter about the facilities. I, I know you're gonna go and work for a multi-million dollar organization, hundreds of millions, like, Maybe but do you know what? The value in you is it doesn't matter if you're in a, uh, a little old place like this, which because you, the values you have and just you as a person, um, yeah, I, I really, I really feel that when I walked in here, mate. I thought the Mariners is a really special club. It's it's a real community club, you know. And, and like you said, then the biggest thing we talk about family. You know, we we, we want to be one big family. And I come from a mum who just showed me so much love. And uh, to be honest, you know, I, I love all the players here and the staff. And I think. If you give them that love, you know they'll they'll give it back to you. And I think to do that, the only way you can do that is be honest with them, you know. And that's one thing that that I learned from mainly from Neil Warnock as, as a coach. You know, he was always honest. You know, like it or don't like it. You know, he'd tell you if you were playing, he'd tell you why you weren't playing. You know, and you could always talk to him. And I always said to myself, if I'm going to be a coach, the biggest thing I respected about him was that he was honest. And there was sometimes when I would play really well. You know, the next game he would leave me out of the team 
I know, on the bench, but you know, he'd pull me into the boot room with all the polish and dirty boots around, quite nervous. And he would say, you know, I know you're not gonna, I know you're not gonna agree with me, but I'm gonna leave you out for this reason, and, and that's my reason. And I always respected that, you know, even if I didn't agree with him, you know, I 100% respected him, and I'd always say, no problem, Gaffer, I'm ready when you need me. Yeah. And I always said to myself when I became a coach, I'll, I'll always be honest. Yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent. I think the players really respect that. Yeah. Um, and and I've seen so many coaches that don't do that, and I, I can never understand it. You know, because everybody's human. Yeah. You know, and I think honesty and yeah, treating everybody with respect and and, and love is the only way that they're going to give it back to you. And again, that's my you know my principles, not 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 my philosophy. That's me as a human, the way that I want to be as a coach. And and yeah, you know, I think that's that's. A real powerful thing when you do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can see that, mate. You can see it, and in any of the other episodes, you'll feel that in the other great leaders. Um, speaking of great leaders, Mike Phelan, who we had, who, who's only on the audio version. Uh, we don't have him on the YouTube channel, but on the audio version, there's an episode with Mike Phelan, who was assistant to Alex Ferguson for a long time, who's coached, who's captain, who's played for England. Who's, like uh, he spoke of you very highly very highly um so i want people to go and listen to the mike Phelan episode but also what are your thoughts on someone like mike you met him you've stayed in touch with him um talk to me about mike Phelan because i want to ring him to say yeah, yeah listen to this mike look yeah. well, again first it's really humbling that, that that mike speaks highly of me number one because you we're talking about one of the greatest coaches and assistant managers of, of all time and, and that's a fact um, so yeah it's cool. obviously it's really humbling that that Mike speaks highly of me and I knew Mike as when I was a player obviously at Sheffield United and you know, I'll always forget uh, never forget when he burst a balloon and Alex Ferguson uh, nearly jumped off his seat uh, that that gets replayed and we had a laugh about that and just so happened I look I think everything in life happens for a reason I'm a massive believer in that um, I just retired um, from playing here and to be honest I was going through that difficult transition which anyone listening to this podcast who's been in rugby or football or any sport when you come to the end of your playing days you know you, you have to be passionate about something and that transition is really really hard and that's why so many people struggle um, but you need good people around you need a good family and I've got a beautiful wife and, and, and three three beautiful girls um, and I always wanted to be a coach and, and that's I felt that for a long time even playing I wanted to finish and be a coach but the reality is it's, it's, it's not easy you know you're going from coming in everything's out for you you're a player you know you've got your schedule to all of a sudden you know you, you know I'm coaching under 12s under 14 15 kids and I was in a role coaching in the youth academy um, and, and Mike Phelan came out and a new head coach came in and asked me to be his second assistant and Mike came out as a sporting director um, which Mike Charles with the, the, the previous chairman still the owner uh, met Mike in England and brought him in and yeah, instantly as soon as he said my feeling was coming in I was like it gave me a massive lift yeah. and as soon as he got here I, I wanted to spend as much time with him as possible and pick his brain really and, and uh, you know Mike will probably laugh but he, um, he got done for speeding um, in Australia and, and for me that was the best thing ever because that meant I could pick him up every morning yes. and I'll spend 40 minutes in the car with him here yeah. 40 minutes back and 
and I, again, I was just in that transition, and yeah, just just to be able to pick the brain of someone that that worked with the greatest coach of all time, and in Alex Ferguson. And not only that, I was massive on youth development, and, and that's a big passion of mine. You know, David Beckham, Ryan Giggs, Nicky Butt, Gary Neville. Like you look at the, the the famous young players that came through the great Man United team, and Mike was there through all of that. Not only coaching them, mentoring them, and yeah, just just took so much from everything he said. I wrote it down and, and, and yeah, I just, I couldn't believe that someone like Mike Phelan was over here and, and I was working with him at a time when I was actually pretty down. Um, and, and that, yeah, it was, it was an amazing, uh, amazing couple of months experience. And Mike is a great mentor for me. I speak to him all the time. And yeah, he's just such a genuine, humble guy that I just yeah, he's just you can pick the phone up to him anytime, and he's always got time for me. And throughout my journey here, he's been there as a mentor, and you know to pick the phone up and 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 talk to someone like Mike and him give you the time. It's just yeah, I never take that for granted. Mate, I love, I love that answer. Your honesty, first of all, and your vulnerability a little bit there for the listeners. Like it, it's a mentally tough time to acknowledge it, and it seems like you. You know, that's probably another podcast altogether. It seems like you went through a bit of a dark time that, like you say, nearly all professional athletes will go through. Like they might not know it, but it's coming. No, it's, yeah, it's 100%. It's, you know, it's so difficult. And, and right now, Marty Simon, um, one of the greatest Mariners players of all time. Yeah. You know, he finished through injury and straight away I brought him onto my staff. He's very close to me now. He's, uh, he, he helps with the recruitment, but you know, he was going through a, a similar tough time and I think you know any ex-player that's been through that situation the best person to help someone is someone that's been through that because it's, it's so hard to yeah. understand it you know because yeah. you've been institutionalized for so long everything's been done for you your life's yeah. run by a schedule and all of a sudden the four walls of the dressing room are taken away from you and at times you feel worthless and, and you know I was an, a second assistant I'd coaching uh, the young kids and I wanted to be the first team coach and it was like an out-of-body experience sitting there listening to um, the coach at the time who was a great, a good guy but it just wasn't me and I, I, I always visualised stuff and I just visualised as a player playing in the first team and then coaching, visualising being the head coach and, and, and again, you know, um, just knowing that when the opportunity came I, that's what I wanted to do and, and that's all I ever wanted to do. Mate, there's so much gold in all your answers. Even the reaching out to an old teammate, one of the words on the wall that I walked past said loyalty. So you actually live it, they're not just words on the wall. Um, I really appreciate that. You mentioned in your previous answer the passion for youth. Can I go there with the Mariners? Because this club, could you explain the, the success of this club of late, for me, knowing the Mariners and knowing it, it's a pretty small place in the central coast of New South Wales in Australia, and you are now the number one development club across Asia. We've, ju we've all just watched the FIFA World Cup and we've watched three of your players that you brought through here, and now they're moving on to bigger and better things. You mentioned the word passion for youth development. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit for me and and maybe share a few more stats there that I don't know, but it's, it's incredible, mate. And you were heading up this youth 
into your first team. So like you've done the whole journey with them. Those guys that we're talking about at the World Cup, that's you. Do they pay you a commission or the club? No, okay. no don't give me a, no, I don't get, I get a thank you off the players, but no, yeah. in terms of the youth development side of it, you know, after my feeling left, you know, uh, the opportunity came up to, to take the under 23 team and I jumped at it and, and I took that role for two years. And fortunately for me, you know, on the coaching journey, I, I met a guy called Sergio Raimondo, who's my assistant coach now. Um, I met him over on the UEFA badges over in Europe. And I always remember thinking, this guy is so far ahead of, of everyone else on the course. And when I got to know him, um, you know, he'd coached at Benfica Academy, which is one of the biggest development clubs in the world, probably the most successful uh, development club in the world. Um, and he'd worked with you know, the likes of Bernardo Silva and Cancelo, uh, currently at Man City, as well as many others. And as soon as I, I knew that, once I got the under 23 role here um, and the head in the academy, I wanted to bring him in as, as my assistant. Um, and, and yeah, I brought him in and, and yeah, we started virtually just revamped the whole academy here. Um, for, for years, when the Mariners started, it developed a lot of young players, you know, Matty Ryans, Bernie Abinis, um, Tommy Rodgicks. And, and yeah, the club was well known for that um, back in the day. And then, yeah, for many years that, that stopped, you know. There, there wasn't the production of young players. There was a lot of money wasted by coaches on, on foreign players and uh, recycled A-League players. And my philosophy always, as a player that was given his debut at 18 years old by a coach that believed in him, in, in you know, one of the biggest leagues in the world, in the English Championship, I always said when I get the opportunity, you know, I'm going to believe in young players because what you get with young players is honesty, is, is you know, their love for the club. And, and the Mariners, you know, it's no secret we're, we, you know, we're, we're the lowest budget team in the competition. Um, we're not in Sydney, we're not in Melbourne, you know, the club struggles for sponsorships. Um, and, and yeah, look, the only way for this club to be successful and compete is to develop your own players. Because the fact is that your own players, they don't cost big salaries because nobody else gives them the opportunity. So I think to, to be able to take the academy for two years and work with a lot of young players, um, as well as set up a, a scouting sort of department uh, across Australia through contacts who I trust and, and, and respect. Um, you know, we had a lot of success in the academy and ultimately when I got the first team job, you know, my, my, you know, my clear goal was there was no money in the budget um, and that suited me perfectly. And, and I always remember people, I won't mention them saying, you're crazy, you know, don't take the job. This club's got no money. You know, at the time there was a couple of boys on, on massive salaries, um, like, like salaries that, that they should never have been on. And that meant there was hardly any money left to, to bring in players, to make the legal requirement of players on the roster. Um, and yeah, I just saw that perfect, you know. Four or five of these young boys that I've been working with, let's chuck them in the first team. And ultimately they ended up taking the place of some of the first team players. And, and yeah, they're the big, big decisions that you have to make as a coach. And I did them last season. I made some tough calls last year and, and, and big decisions. And the success we had last year was built on the academy players that came through. And, in the first team now, we've got, yeah, I think last week we had 11 out of the 16 that were, that were from the academy. Um, Mate, this is huge. Even the mindset of, you had no budget and you said, this is perfect. Like, 
a lot of people would see the negative in that, but you thought of the opportunity in that. Again, it was only influenced by your own experiences and career and people that believed in you. But this is such a story. I don't think there's any club in Australia. Think of the other codes, the other sporting codes, like rugby league, AFL. They would be in awe if they had... How many did you just say from the academy or in the first team? 11 from 16. 11 from 16. If they, if they could do that, if any, you think of the big clubs. This is such a huge story, but I don't think anyone realised it's because their leader saw that. What an opportunity. Because there are people that think the worst and there's other people that are a bit more optimistic like yourself. That, thanks for that answer. I love it. So what, what do you see is possible for the Central Coast Mariners? What's your vision for this, this club, this team? Well, my vision when, when I took over the academy was to rebuild the academy and, and create a conveyor belt of talent that could service the club for, for many years to, to come. And you know, the thought behind doing that was, you know, once we become a club that develops young players and, and ultimately sells them into Europe, which you've done in the last couple of years. Um, you know, we could talk about Grant Quall going to Newcastle United. I think he's the first young player for a long time to go from Australia to a Premier League club. And he became the, the second youngest to Pele ever to play in a, a knockout stage of a World Cup when he, when he played for the Socceroos at the World Cup. So that's one example. Um, and he just nearly scored against he did, Argentina. He did. He did. Right at the end. He, he, again, he, you know, he normally had that impact for us off the bench. And yeah, he's, uh, he's now at Newcastle United on, on loan at Hearts in Scotland. And, and that's just one example. How does that make you feel? Because the second youngest player to Pele to ever play in a World Cup. And... I'm sure for the rest of his life he sits back, he'll be sitting here one day telling stories of Nick Montgomery who believed in me. Like, how does that make you feel? Is that why you coached? Yeah, it's one of the best, you know, this question, uh, this question got asked me a while back and I said the, the most enjoyable thing about coaching for me is giving a young player the debut, you know, and yeah, yeah. I, I'll never forget any debuts I've given and I've given a lot to a lot of local boys in the last two years since I got the job. And, you know what it means to them. You know what it means to their families, and you know a lot of them. A lot of the boys here have been fans of the Mariners. You know, even the ones we brought from interstate that were, that have been at the club for a couple of years before breaking into the first team, they, they become part of the Central Coast, yeah. part of the, the the Mariners family. And you know, when you give them that debut, and think back to when I made my debut, you know, and, and yeah. all the hard work I went through, it's it's not easy to get the debut. You know, but what I always say to them is, you know, sometimes the debut is a lot easier than than the longevity of staying in the team because I think it's a real test of a player to, to make the debut and take the foot off the pedal and that's one thing we don't we don't let them do here, you know, that's just the start. Ooh, um, there's a little nugget of gold, yeah. there's a little nugget because everybody trains, this, everybody does the same drills, everybody does the same prep. You've just mentioned a little word there about intensity, you didn't say the word intensity but you, you just mentioned something there that's again a reflection of you. If I picture you and, and your background and no backward steps and training and, and what you've seen in Europe, you've seen a level of intensity that maybe people here haven't seen. But you've just said you won't let them take the foot off the throttle. Like, can we talk a little bit more on that? Because there's a lesson in that. Look, I think with the young players, again, when I took the role of, of, of running the academy, 
Um, one thing I probably didn't mention is, you know, I put in sports psychology, which I, I believe in massively, and sports performance. Uh, I brought in a guy called Ezio Momile, who um, he's actually from Wollongong, but um, he works in team sports. Great guy. Um, I brought in player support um, from a chaplain on the Central Coast, a good friend of mine. So we sort of put resources in there, which you know, ultimately is to accelerate the development of the players, because the reality is players in Australia, they don't play enough games as a young player. And we're getting them at, at 17, 18, 19, and we're trying to accelerate them into the first team. So you have to equip them with the tools when they get there, that it's not overwhelming, you know? And, and, and by doing that, I think all the support we put in, um, not just coaching support, you know, uh, mental health support and sports psychology. Um, and again, we did it by not having the resources, by people that I know and respect who wanted to help and, and being able to bring them in to, to support me on my staff and give them, them the trust to have access to the players and help them. Yeah. Uh, because you know, ultimately we, we all want the same goal and we want the players to, to, to develop into the first team, to, to break into the first team, to perform for the Mariners, to get in national teams at youth level, at, at top level. And then ultimately the goal for most of them is to go overseas. So to sort of facilitate that for them is a big process. It's not easy and you need good people involved and good people on the staff. And that's one thing I learned from my time with the good coaches that always had good people around them, you know, always had good staff um, and people that were all buying into what, you know, what you wanted to achieve. And um, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot harder than, than, yeah. than it sounds. Yeah. Oh, it's, honestly, some of your answers are so good. I want to just dig deeper and deeper, but we don't have too much time to do that. But um, you mentioned their resources, so I'd, and you mentioned the vision of this club. So I just want to turn it to you now. We'll finish with you, the vision for you. So you know what to do. You know, you know this game like no one else. Thirty years of living and breathing it. Um, you have the tools. You've developed the tools, the coaching tools. Have you developed? And it looks like you've even worked on the, your own mindset as a as a coach as well. So you have the tools. Where's the desire? Where what's possible for you? Where are we going? Um, I don't want to do this in a way of saying, "Hey, Mariners, I'm really sorry, but you won't have him forever." But you will leave a legacy here. Um, what's possible for you? I honestly believe in life, and anything's possible. And you know, as a player, uh, you know, to, to reach the Premier League and play in the Premier League was probably something a lot of people doubted me on. You know, I wasn't the most technical player in the world, but I had the will to, to, to work harder than anybody and, 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 and yeah, to, to do anything I could to, to get to the top and I managed to do that. And I think with the Mariners, we've, we've got a chairman involved at the minute, um, you know, he's put extra resources in, in athlete development, because I really believe that to get to the top of the game now, you have to be the best athlete you can be. And, and again, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an effort from everybody. And I genuinely wanted to, to be, you know, the Mariners to be the number one development club in Australia. And, and, and last year, the stats came out to say that we were number one in AFC, so the whole of Asia, China, Korea, Japan, of academy developed players in the first team, not only in the first team playing minutes. And, and yeah, it was, to be honest, you know, when that came out, that was one of the most proud things myself and Sergio uh, have, ever, have ever done because we had a vision of doing that two years previous and for that to happen in the first year of his being in the first team, you know, 
um, yeah, was amazing. But for me as for me as a coach, I, I don't look too far ahead. You know, I, I really love this club and you talk about loyalty. You know, I spent 14 years at Sheffield United. I've spent 10 years now at the Mariners. Um, so I'm not someone that just just moves on um, at, at the drop of a hat. Um, I think there's always a time for everything and, and right now I'm just loving being at this club and the people that I've brought in and, and what we've done and I think we can really achieve something you know even the Mariners getting in the top six for me is overachieving you know last year we got in the top six we got to the cup final this year you know our aim is to get in the top six and I'll always say you know uh, in the A-League to get in the top six that's what you have to aim for you know whatever happens after that is it's a bit of a lottery in the playoffs. You know, you can finish six and, and be crowned champions. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the league title. I come from England, where winning the league is the most important thing, and, and that's it's, that's a marathon, not a sprint. So I think ultimately, at the end of the season, the teams deserve to be where they are on the table, and then it's like a cup competition at the end, where anybody can beat anybody, and, and pressure and everything has to be taken into account. I'm just loving the experience at the minute. I've got great mentors in the game, you know, like Mike Phelan, Neil Warnock, you know, Kevin Blackwell, Brian Robson. I worked under Brian Robson, Brian Kidd. You know, there's so many more I could talk about that I've learned from. You know, that I can pick up the phone to if, if I need. But right now, I've got good good support from my family, number one, and my friends here. And yeah, the Mariners fans are amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful community, and it's great to see everyone coming back and supporting the team. So. I think post-Covid, uh, everything's getting back on its feet now and post the World Cup, I think the value of Australian football is is on the rise, the value of Australian players is on the rise because yeah. you know it's the first time the country's just got to the knockout stage of a World Cup in a long time and there's some big, uh, big countries that never got to the World Cup so uh, yeah, really excited for the future but right now all I think about is the next game and, and that's Wellington Phoenix away this Sunday. I probably expect nothing less from you to just say all oh, I'm focused on is this because that that's a trait of the best athletes, best coaches, they're very present right now. What's important right now? And you've nailed it. So just let me say it then. Sorry Mariners, you won't be here forever. But you did mention there how loyal you are. 10 years, 15 years somewhere else. This is such a ruthless game. If you're no good, you're spat out in two years, one year. If you're no good as a player, an administrator, a backroom staffer, a head coach especially. Talk about English Premier League, a head coach's career is not that long in certain clubs. Whoever, find, whoever buys you next has got someone who's willing to stay there for 10 years. <laughs> um, I hope they're willing the same way because it's ruthless, mate. You, if you're no good, it spits you out. And you're very good, mate. You're very good, which is why I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. Thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing today. The feeling I had when I walked in here was was so good. There's something special happening at the Mariners. And um, yeah, thanks. It's my pleasure. Legend. Cheers, Helen. Some of the best learning you will ever do will be traveling. Give yourself space, time to creatively think, to learn, to meet people, or take a vacation with your family. Give yourself that time. And there's no better person or people or company to help you than the people at Tripadeal. Their experienced agents will look after you from start to finish. 
They will plan your flights, your accommodation, your car, your excursions, whatever you need. If you want to plan a trip of a lifetime, Tripadeal is the place to go. Tripadeal.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode, I know you will love the audio version of the Wayne Bennett episode, which you can find on all major podcast platforms. Get the edge with Hayden Knowles.